1: I am Dean Linkey and we've got a giant show for you today. Yesterday, the semifinals of the NWSL Challenge Cup. That means we now know who's going to be in the final on CBS this weekend. It should be fantastic. Well done, NWSL, on keeping everybody safe. And well done, Sandra Herrera. You can see her on the pre- and post-game shows for CBS All Access. She writes for CBS Sports. She's big with the Chicago Red Stars, where she also has a podcast Sandra Herrera breaks down the great work at the NWSL Challenge Cup. We will then go to Big Ten and 10, a feature that I will start with the Big Ten because of my work with the Big Ten Network, but then we'll roll into the ACC. Pac-12 we will try to cover all the conferences. We'll start with men's soccer. The Yagley's, Todd Yagley and the godfather Jerry Yagley, along with the professor Chris Monroe, one of my broadcast partners On the Big Ten Network, we'll spend 10 minutes with Todd Yeagley and Jerry Yeagley talking about hopefully being able to play this fall, what we'll see, and then also reflecting on some special memories. Black lives do matter. Kidani McAlpine, he won a national championship with USC in 2016. He's from Alabama. He played college in Alabama. A great civil rights leader, John Lewis, was also born in Alabama. He recently passed away black lives matter we'll talk about that with kidani mcalpine he is as cool as they come and then we'll meet two more members of our 30 under 30 class jane grimley and rob mahoney and it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor team snap
0: managing your club or league shouldn't feel like a second job with team snap it doesn't have to they help their customers save time and sanity on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to teamsnap.com/nscaa1. Welcome
2: back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by Team Snap. Dean Linsky with you, as you know, longtime voice of the North Carolina Courage, former voice of the WPS on Fox Soccer Channel, huge advocate for the women's game, and I love talking to even bigger advocates for me, and we've got one on now. Sandra Herrera, who's been doing incredible work as the soccer writer and also featured in the pregame and postgame shows for CBS All Access. Sandra, great to meet you virtually here, but uh, great to have you on the podcast as well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about this. First off, one of the things that uh, I continue to trumpet is, quite frankly, I don't think the NWSL is getting enough credit for the job they've done to be the first sports league with teams to get back to action. And they deserve a ton of credit because as far as I know, everything has gone just amazingly, incredibly well, right?
3: Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm in
2: agreement with you there,
3: Dean. I think there was a lot of uh, general risk taking when it comes to the idea of being the first one back, right? And I think the – the really great thing about NWSL's return to play in the United States is that that wasn't necessarily something, you know, that was in the front of their mind, as we're hearing a lot from whether it's the commissioner or ownership or, or coaches and staff, that the return to play was really about making sure they were getting it right, uh, whether that was taking care of players, making sure that, the, you know, all the testing protocols were in place, So, yes, it all came to light with the timeline that they ended up being the first ones back to return to play as, like, a a professional team sport. But in that, it's how they've rolled out and how they've been successful. And, um, you know, I know we're hearing a lot about, you know, things like mental fatigue in terms of, you know, having to live in a bubble and and doing the hotel life and how that can kind of weigh differently on, on people. But in terms of trying to return and get back into playing and Within a time like COVID-19, I thought they've been doing a tremendous job.
2: Now, the other thing, too, before we push to your predictions, and ironically this will air the day after the semifinals, so we'll see how you do, Sandra. You've done a great job uh, for most of your predictions all along the way. But make no mistake, their statement on Black Lives Matter collectively right off the bat, Portland and North Carolina Courage, And then also just making sure LGBT and Pride, I mean, I just feel like the NWSL has even done that right. Maybe not 100% perfect, but they've made sure they got out front of it.
3: Yeah, and I think that's a huge testament to how they want to engage and support their players. The images that we saw coming out of this tournament specifically were images that were, you know, all led by really the players, player-led initiatives within – the league speaking to a few players already, knowing that a player like Mitch Purse has come forth and trying to start the beginnings of, you know, a Black players coalition, having Commissioner Lisa there, you know, be in front of of that as well, and, and wanting to engage with players, the NWL Players Association, all of these conversations that had been taking place prior to the challenge cup kicking off, and then also during and leading up to, right? So. Seeing all the different initiatives, whether it's in church, armbands, players enacting their right to peacefully protest, and not only that, but having the support uh, around that, whether it's been from a, league, a top league level or just from their coaching staff and club, I think has been very, very significant. I don't think that maybe players, go there if they don't feel that support. And there has been a lot of discussion about having those difficult conversations and trying to create those places of support in order to to, to maintain that platform. So a big, a big part of it, I think, always starts and ends with the players. But so if you don't have that additional support around it, I don't know if that platform is still utilized in that way. So it, it's been incredibly moving to watch. And I'll also just add that I also feel like it's incredibly necessary because we've been hearing a lot about that as well, whether it's surrounding the Black Lives Matter movement or whether it is supporting LGBTQ rights. All of those things are on equal level in terms of being pushed forward uh, in terms of accepting those things and creating the change that we want to be kind of as a community
2: within women's soccer and to a larger extent globally. All right, well, let's break down these semifinals and let's go ahead and get a, a little jab in there, although I will say, while I've been the voice for North Carolina Courage, I love the league, so I'm definitely not one of those, just, hey, the Courage rule everything, although they've been pretty dominant. I totally get it, Sandra. If you're gonna, if you're being honest with me, I know that everybody's loving the fact that the Courage lost, except for the Courage fans, because it's like the New York Yankees type of thing, so hopefully you will be honest on that part and be like, yeah, it's going to be good to see somebody else in there. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm still in a little shock that it happened. Britt Eckerstrom was amazing, one of the best goalkeeping performances you're ever going to see. So with that as a side, please admit to me that you're a little bit happy and then break down those semifinals. Can you do that for me?
3: Uh, you know, First off, you should always be supportive of, of that club because if you're calling them, you're watching them closely. So of course, you're going to have that attack. So I love that out of you. And uh, I'm going to be right there with you. I'm not going to disagree. I mean, I, I think I've said it a few times on our pre- and post-game at CBS uh, that we're very much team chaos when it comes to this. You know, it was it's an opportunity when I think you're on the media side of things, whether you cover a specific team closely or not, that there's a certain level of, uh, you know, neutrality. Like you said, like, ultimately you just want, you know, the support of a league and, and to to rally around that. So seeing something like that happen, you know, seeing a big team like North Carolina uh, get eliminated so early within the knockout, it's, it's huge. Uh, you know, it, it provides a different layer of chaos. It provided, busted the bracket for so many people who might have been playing playing brackets and trying to make predictions. And, uh, you know, I think going into a match like that, where it was sort of a, a repeat of that opening day match, but it also gave people another opportunity to really look into that, take a peek into that rivalry that kind of exists between those two teams, which I also really appreciated. We had experiences with with the coaches and and players prior to that during the media availability. And you heard, whether it was from head coach Paul Reilly or or, or players, that it's a rivalry that's very real and that exists. And they all feel that those types of things are necessary to actually help the league Grow. So I think, yes, there's, there's obviously going to be a bit of shock. There was when it happened, when a, a, such a dominant team like North Carolina Courage were bumped, especially for someone like me who's covering I mean, I, I had them take to, to win the whole thing. So, you know, we've had to, to adjust some things there. But not only seeing that elimination happen, but having it happen, you know, through a team like Portland Thorns FC, I think this adds to that, that layer. It's another layer to this kind of storied rivalry that we that we've watched kind of grow more recently within the league, you know, because it's not something that's, uh, you know, kind of been in existence since it started, you know, it's it really kind of started kind of in these, these later years. So we're still watching it grow and this is part, going to be part of that, part of that rivalry. So I think, uh, stuff like that. I mean, I'm in agreement with the coaches and the players on that, that it's, important for the league and while it's disappointing that someone has to be on the losing end of that especially a team like North Carolina who's not used to kind of being on the losing side of things I think it's provided a lot of fun storylines heading into the rest
2: of the knockouts all right so this will air on Thursday the games will already be played who's gonna win in your eyes and obviously no one's gonna you know give you a yellow card if you're not right but who do you think is going to be in the final
3: you know, I I was looking at all four of these teams, and even prior to these quarterfinals, when I was zeroing in on that quarterfinal between OL Reign and Chicago Red Stars, because they were ultimately that that fourth quarterfinal to be played during this first round of knockouts. And I just sort of felt like if there was a team between the two of them that kind of got their their goal scoring going, that they would maybe be the team to keep an eye on. Now we've got three quarterfinals that were determined on penalty kicks, and only one team was able to score in regulation, and that was the Portland Thorns. So, I feel that the Chicago Red Stars are still in a good position. I think they've been showing a lot between the lines, despite not getting on the score sheet in their quarterfinal during regulation. So, where they could kind of take these uh, results that they've gotten, whether it was that a big win in their final group match, or this Penalty kick shootout result and try to build on that into the semifinal. They're a team similar to Portland with a lot of experience in a a type of knockout round playoff experience. So uh, I think that that's going to be to their benefit. And I think that that's going to be to a benefit like a team like Portland Thorn. So I think when you're looking at these four teams, you're maybe looking at those two teams that have had that experience before. But it's also very, very exciting that there are two teams in Houston Dash and Sky Blue who are going through kind of their first experience in, uh, you know, semi-final type of play where they haven't necessarily ever made that kind of regular season, postseason debut. So if we're looking at the possibility of a championship cup final being won on penalty kicks, because that's a lot of games to be decided on penalties, I really think it could be anybody's cup at this point. I think we're going to be looking at some more outstanding goalkeeper performances, and I think all four of them have the capability of being able to hoist the cup on their shoulders. But I'm looking at the teams with the most experience, so I'm going to I'm going to be vague, and I'm going to say Portland and
2: Chicago might have the best shot here. I think that was fair and a great breakdown. All right, my last question. If you remember, I started talking about the fact that I love talking to people that are passionate about women's sports, women's soccer especially. I have been my whole life, not just soccer, but tons of women's sports for the Big Ten network and across the country. I love your story. Give us the clip notes version on how you found your way to this position now with CBS, Sandra.
3: I been local to Chicago and I am one of the few who are very fortunate to live in a place where there is a women's professional soccer team. And I have always loved the sport and I wanted to be able to sort of contribute and dive into covering this league in a media aspect. And I was able to do that because the Chicago Red Stars exist, you know, in NWSL in and in Chicago. So I, I dived in uh, probably around 2016 or so and Uh, It's been a wild ride ever since. You know, got to cover some playoff experiences, a championship final, some really, really great players, talented players, and some pretty successful seasons there. The coverage of that sort of evolved. So, I mean, when you're talking about being able to cover one team, you know, on a game day, that also provides an outlet to potentially cover other teams and cover other players and coaches. And being able to sort of freelance, and write for different outlets, great independent outlets, producing work on the league, and also really being able to form a a kind of community-based, team-centric podcast, which when we launched Soft the Trap Podcast, myself and my co-host, Claire Watkins, this was kind of during a time where there weren't a ton of team-centric podcasts, and I think now we're starting to see a lot of those, you know, whether it's... You know, something like Plex Weather for, for Washington Spirit or, or something like, you know, Ashley's Dash for, for Houston Dash. Like we're seeing all these great podcasts, you know, from, from, you know, Red Smoke Radio for Portland Storms and they're just centered on their teams. People are looking for that, you know, cause they like to, to hear the content around their teams. So, you know, for us running with this podcast, it's, it's become a larger part of the Red Stars community. And it really sort of went from just sort of being a show that talks about games and recaps them to really just kind of being this place where supporters, fans, you know, near and wide can kind of come in and engage and always have a place to, to find some stuff content. So it's, it's been, it's been a, it's been a wild ride so far and it's obvious the work has uh, you know, writing and, and podcasting has obviously led me to an opportunity with CBS, and, and I've been enjoying the journey so far, and uh, it's been amazing to see the response that everyone is giving to this Challenge Cup tournament via CBS and CBS All Access. I mean, I think we're, we are need to take a moment to, when we have time or during it right now as it's coming to a close, to just, uh, you know, extend some gratitude and just reflect on that and be grateful that there was soccer in NWSL for us to cover this year. There was, as this some scary moment throughout 2020, right, where we didn't know if, if professional sports were, were going to return, and um, we're seeing something really special happening with NWSL right now. And uh, I'm just just grateful for the the journey
2: to be on it with everyone else and experience it. Real quickly, your Twitter, if people want to reach out to you and give you a shout out.
3: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Sand Herrera underscore. That's H-E-R-R-E-R-A underscore. So that's where you can find me and all the
2: soccer (laughs) tapes. Sandra Herrera on CBS All Access and a soccer writer for CBS as well. got a podcast with the Red Stars, does great work promoting the game that we love and the league that we love, NWSL. So great to finally meet you, Sandra. Keep up the great work, okay? Thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you, Sandra. And, boy, I'll tell you what, all my favorites are coming through. As you know, I'm a big fan of the godfather, Jerry Yagley, who is really, really tight with the association, longtime member of United Soccer Coaches. There is a scholarship in his name. He is the legend, arguably the greatest men's college soccer coach of all time. And his son, Todd Yeagley, who doesn't get enough credit for being an amazing player, is now entering his 11th year as the top man at Indiana. We are going to start doing the Big Ten and Ten. Then we're going to move to the ACC. Then we're going to move to the Pac-12 and some of the other leagues because we're not quite sure what's going to happen in the fall. We're going to have one coach and one special player, and we're going to knock it out within 10 minutes, and we're going to keep on doing it, beginning today and every week from here on out. The godfather, Jerry Yagley, and the head coach of the Indiana Hoosiers, Todd Yagley. Being a coach means being a lot of things. Mentor, teacher, role model, motivator, leader, organizer. Of course, it's not easy to be all of those things. You need help. And who better to help you than an association of fellow coaches? Membership with United Soccer Coaches includes access to over $500 worth of e-learning courses, an improved online resource library with more than 1,000 activities, session plans and articles, $1 million worth of liability insurance, and a whole lot more. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org join and start your free 30-day introductory membership today. United Soccer Coaches, your association for all things coaching. Welcome to Big Ten Men's Soccer in 10, which is a quick look at the season ahead and a reflection on great moments in program history of the nine Big Ten men's soccer teams. That means a visit with all nine head coaches and one special guest from each university. I'm Dean Linke, joined by the man we call the professor at BTN, Chris Monroe, former goalkeeper at Indiana. Great to be with you, Professor Monroe. Great to be here, Dino. All right, and it's fitting that you played in Hoosierland because we start with Indiana. That means we start with Todd Yeagley, one of the all-time great players at Indiana, now in his 11th season as the head coach of the Hoosiers. And we are so pleased that arguably the greatest men's college soccer coach of all time, the Godfather, Jerry Yeagley, is also on the show. Welcome, Todd, and welcome, Godfather.
4: Thanks, Dean. Great to be with you guys. You're the best.
1: Now, Todd, first off, we obviously don't know if we will play unprecedented time, but let's hope we do. And if we do, once again, you won a lot of games last year, but you also lost a lot of players. But as always, you have a lot of talent coming back and coming in. Tell us about your team.
5: We did. We lost some key players up the spine. Obviously, Jack Mayer, Aiden Morris, too, that are that, you know obviously were a big part. Simon Waver leadership with Sean Caulfield. There were some losses certainly this year's group that we'll have to to figure out. I thought the staff did a great job of bringing in an outstanding class. Ended up being ranked number one in the country. A lot of versatility. A lot of different uh, players that can play different spots in the field. And we were able to pick up two transfers that specifically were able to get two areas with, with Simon and Jack's departure that have a little bit more experience with Callum Stretch and Excessic at Denver and Pitt, respectively. So I think between our returners, a very strong core, the nine incomers, seven freshmen, two transfers, we're poised to have some good depth and, and some, some battles in the field.
6: In terms of what the summer's been like for you, obviously COVID has impacted everybody's way of life. How has your returning players really helped kind of ingrain these newcomers into the team? And what's the communication been like between the old guard and these new guys?
5: been good. We've, we've done the best we can to stay connected to our team in these unprecedented times through a lot of Zooms and, and calls. We've been able to get the new players involved with that in the summer to get them a little bit more comfortable with with our players, whether it's a video session or just uh, a general talk. So I think the best we can under these times, I feel that they're as comfortable as they could be. Um, and obviously they're starting to arrive to campus now to get into some voluntary workouts. So, I think the bonding will, will, will begin uh, and, and take another layer. But we have a great group of returning leadership that is, I think, ready to emerge. Spencer Glass thinks really ready to take even a bigger role. Thomas Ward's really emerged. I think Joe Schmidt is another one that's taken a, a bit of a leadership, AJ Palazzolo. So, we, we definitely know there's a void there with some leadership that we lost, but I feel like the guys recognize it as a unit and it's happening very organically which is the way you want it to be.
6: And of course, we're looking forward to the upcoming fall season, how, however it plays out. For those of us who aren't as familiar with the multi-year recruiting grind and what that looks like in the upcoming season two, three, four, can you describe how COVID has impacted that forward-looking process?
5: Yeah. It's, it, I mean, everyone's in the same, in the same boat. I mean, we've, we haven't seen, you know, any prospects since March, um, we were in a great position with where we were in recruiting. I can't get into specifics on where we are, but I can tell you we're in a good place with with our future recruiting. And and obviously this class that we brought in is really robust. So we're all at a, at a bit of this standstill time of trying to identify, continue communication, but visits are important. And also being able to get out and see these kids play again is important. So we're doing the best we can. I think it will be in a bit of an awkward six, 12 months of recruiting but we'll do everything we can to to make it uh, the best we can.
1: Godfather, you always call the new players coming in like Christmas presents under the Christmas tree,
4: kind of like this great gift that you gave me. (laughs) What do you think about these new Christmas presents coming in? I can't wait, one of my favorite times of the year. You wanna unwrap them and see if you wanna keep them or send some of them back. It's interesting.
6: Extremely interesting. Well, well. speaking of recruiting, earlier this summer, the Worth the Wait documentary aired on the Big Ten Network, and it chronicled the 20-year journey that you and your lovely wife, Marilyn, took taking IU from a club sport to a varsity sport to your 1982 national title. For those of us who might not understand really what that journey was like, can you describe how those 20 years really created the foundation of the IU soccer family that
4: exists today? Oh, it was a an unbelievable journey, Chris. I think back to the club days in the 60s and 10 years where we weren't out of varsity sport. And those bonds are as strong as any. and And that, I feel, was a period of time that helped shape me to be the successful coach I was fortunate enough to become. And we had to do everything. We had to do everything. And there was no... Uh, no entitlements no money no anything you just did the best you could but we took a lot of pride and I think that pride in the uniform that stemmed from those days has been one of our keystones of success
1: you know I've called you the godfather because you are the greatest of all time but I gotta be fair I don't think Todd Yagley gets enough credit for how good he was as a
4: player and as a coach can you comment on that Jerry from the time he could kick a ball Todd loved the game he was a he was a junkie. He was unfortunate. Uh, JT Trask was here in town, who was a junkie, and he worked with him. I give JT a lot of credit there. But Todd had what very few players have he had that where the game slows down and he didn't seem rushed, and his technique was impeccable. 93 and 94, when we were ranked number one in the nation, it was one of the most beautiful times that IU played soccer to, to watch and enjoy. And fortunately, unfortunately, we didn't win a championship even though we were ranked number one both those years. But uh, as a coach, Todd has no one outworks him, I'll tell you that. And he's far beyond where I was. He, he has a thirst for learning all the time. His management skills, how he handles his staff, how he works with the players. I just I just marvel. I stealth in the shadows. I watch and I enjoy I'm gonna jump in Chris
1: to take the last question here this has been amazing but Todd Yeagley hopefully you saw the Big Ten video recall with the great Mr. Gootman, who said he would take the player of the year over the natty I'm not sure you feel that way but he was a special
5: player he was yeah I mean Andrew's story is pretty incredible you know coming in you know not a very highly recruited player and and, and just working his tail off and obviously some really good players around him and the environment helped him get to where he was. I think he's very thankful. And I know Andrew wanted to win as much as anyone. Uh, I think you, you might have caught him in a moment of weakness there uh, if you if you mentioned that. But uh, no doubt he's proud. He's really proud of what, you know, he was able to achieve. And he's he he, he thoroughly knows the, the teammates and the program helped him get him there and it's fun to see him have success and obviously you've been watching him these these last couple of weeks down in Florida along with a lot of our IU boys with MLS's back down in the Orlando bubble but it's fun to see our guys continue to do well at the next level
1: and in 15 seconds or so how proud are you
5: of the professor chris monroe oh i mean this 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 guy is uh i mean he is one of the sharpest most intelligent players that i ever got to coach and obviously my father coached him. We, we were here together, head coach, assistant coach, and there, there wasn't anyone that one cares um, as much as Chris does about his teammates. And two, just his, uh, his intellectual ability was off the charts. Might have gotten his way a few times because he's just so smart. Uh, but certainly led to uh, the success he's having today in the, in, in the real world, as we call it. One of the jewels of our program.
1: Well said, Godfather. Great to be with Jerry Yagley and Todd Yagley and also former Indiana goalkeeper Chris Monroe, who I call games with on the Big Ten Network. We'll bring you the Big Ten in 10 every week. Then we'll move to the ACC, then the Pac-12, and then the other conferences. And even if we don't have a full season of college soccer, if we have no college soccer at all, we'll continue to feature the great coaches that make college soccer what it is today and also great members of each program that we talk to it should be pretty neat the other thing we want to continue to do on this program is continue the dialogue that black lives matter nicole hercules who is the chair for the black coaches advocacy group for united soccer coaches will want us to do it i want to do it and you should want us to do it kidani mcalpine grew up in alabama He's now out at USC in 2016. He led the Trojans to the national championship in women's soccer. The man is cool as a cat. And of course, he's had to live it every day. His life matters. Black lives matter. Kidani McAlpine, when we return.
2: Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Staff. I want to thank the godfather Jerry Yegley and his son Todd Yegley in our last segment. As promised, we're joined by the top man at the University of Southern Cal. He won a national championship in 2016 with their women's team, Kidani McAlpine. Kidani, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Dean. Well, and we're going to talk soccer, but very little soccer, because it's important to keep the dialogue going on Black Lives Matter Nicole Hercules, who is the chair for the Black Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group for United Soccer Coaches, has done an amazing job, and I'm going to make sure I do my part, Kidani. I started thinking about you when I was looking at your background, remembering our great conversation. I saw that John Lewis passed away. What a pioneer he was, seeing him sit next to Martin Luther King. Well, guess what? He was born in Alabama. You were born in Alabama. You went to college, yeah, in Alabama. He was an inspirational figure, wasn't he?
7: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, when, when you just think about the images uh, in, in Selma and, and, you know, having, having been able to, to visit that, that bridge and, and, and just seeing those images, I mean, um, and then his continued work through his lifetime, you, you can't help but, one, be grateful that, that so many people have recognized the work that he's done to see, uh, you know, even, even in, in government, the, the Bipartisan um, acknowledgement of his work and the human being that he was, and then in, in light of what's going on right now, to show that you know his work isn't done, and, and um, we're still we're still pushing to to kind of create the equality that we all hope uh, that we can find.
2: Well, that's what has to happen, and I feel like this is the time where we got to keep the dialogue going. It can't be here and gone, or otherwise we'll be right back into that naive spot that we've all been. For way too long. And really, I think one of the other images that wanted me to continue the dialogue as well is even in his dying days, his dying days, he was able to get up high and see the Black Lives Matter leading right up to the White House in D.C. And he was able to walk down there. He's only five foot six. He looked like a giant with a purple. <laughs> right? Yeah, right yeah. down to the end, right?
7: No doubt about it. I mean, I mean, this, this. When you think about, you know, I, I think about my parents. I think about, um, you know, the, John Lewis, and I, I had some some very very interesting conversations with my father, just talking about his time as a young man in his 20s, growing up in, in the South, through all that, and 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 you know, when you think about John Lewis and the work and the the, the dangerous places that he he was in, and and putting his life at the forefront of 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 Trying to make it better for the people that come from behind him. So to see him be able to to see the fight continue and see so many young people, and not just so many young people, so many different races in the fight. You know, I, I think it's it's a very um, it's very telling that that you know hopefully he can he can somewhat rest peacefully knowing that the fight is going to continue through many races and and it's not something that's just going to go away.
2: Well, hopefully we do it all together, Kedani, but. Before we get there, we do have to listen. We have to reflect. If you've been listening to the show, Shaka Daily shared some stories. Tia McNeil, McNeil opened my eyes in a big way, even with this passive, aggressive racism that all of us seem to have and don't even realize that we have, that we need to change. Were you taught that as well by your father, that you had to, quote, decode and, and change the way you acted when white police officers came around? Were there any stories like that, Kidani?
7: Oh, absolutely! I mean, it, it, it's it wasn't just um, it wasn't just about you know decoding. It was it was all, it was about survival, right? Making sure that you don't put yourself in harm's way. I got pulled over in Tennessee because my license plate had my college around it. You know, how everybody has a little you know outline right. with your college on around your license plate. Well, evidently, there's a law in Tennessee that that's still illegal. They pulled me over. They searched my car. You know that's not a reason to search somebody's car, but sure enough, it happened. But you know, in order to protect yourself, you have to. You have to. You know, I always put my hands on the wheel. You know, uh, and, and make sure they can see my hands at all times. Um, you, you have to though. Um, it, it's just the way of it. I mean, you know, there, there are certain things that my, you know your parents teach you. Um, you know, my dad, growing up, you know, like he did, it's, uh, he always talked about facing the door, facing windows. You know, making sure that you can see uh, just in case somebody who doesn't like you, you know, is, is has, you know, is out there, and, um, you know, we had, we had conversation, many conversations, like to this day, like, you look at what happened to, um, you know, Ahmaud Arbery, and, you know, you talk about, I've talked to many of my friends about, you know, dressing the same way when you go out to certain areas to, so that people know that, oh, yeah, that's the same guy that lives here, you know, I see him all the time, he's got the same stuff on, and things like that, there's plenty of stories and plenty of, of situations that you find yourself in where you're just trying to protect yourself and make it to the next day, and, and it's it's, um, it's an unfortunate reality.
2: Tell me that you do feel like we are going to keep the dialogue going. When I say we, I say all of us, right? doesn't matter what your skin color, all of us. We know there's some issues, but do you feel like the dialogue is going to stick around this time, Kadani? Because I, I feel like it is, and maybe that's because I want to take ownership as well. But tell me that you believe that we're going to keep this dialogue going. We're going to listen, learn, and change.
6: Dean,
7: I, I, I'm optimistic. I'm I'm very, very optimistic. Um simply because of, you know, the the, the passion that people are, are standing up, the reality that, that many people have been brought into, you know, what, what we've been living through for for a long time. But I, I, I can't I can't help but, but be honest and say I'm also um, hypersensitive to the fact that, that there are those elements that will always be there and that will always try to shift and and uh stay relevant, right? And so um, even as we search to evolve and and work to evolve and change, we have to be cognizant that racism isn't something that's just going to go away. It's going to be here, and and we're going to have to stay diligent and not think that the work has ever been done because I don't think it will ever
2: go away. We're here with Kidani McAlpine, the top man for the USC women's soccer team. They won a national championship in 2016. They're always knocking on the door to win others. One of the things I like about your team is there is some diversity on your team. You have brought women of color in there, but you also have some outstanding white players. Tell us about that experience when you go in to a home, or perhaps it's on the phone with uh, white families, How does that go for you, Kadani? Oh, uh, you know, uh, for the for the
7: large part of my career, I, I'd say it's been fantastic. You know, all the families that that we've been able to come across, whether whether they come to USC or not, we, we've I've had some great experiences. Um, do I believe there's a, a person or two out there that that uh, doesn't want to come play for me for the color of my skin? Absolutely. Um, but at the same time, the women that we have and that, that come into our program are outstanding people, outstanding families, and um, you know we've, we've been fortunate to have uh, great relationships um, currently and 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 and, um, and beyond. But you know that's not to say that's not to say that all is well and that, that we don't have. You know biases and whatnot that that show their head with within every program. You know you've, the dialogue is beginning and in, in searching ourselves in a much much deeper way in, in in our own team and in in some of our past teams. We, we've had some really serious dialogue and and we'll continue to have. You know. Um, I think uh, we as coaches, we get challenged all the time. I get challenged, um, you know, just just to make sure that we do the work necessary to make sure that we are unified and we understand each other. Um, but then I always try to challenge my teams once we have some tough conversations to continue to have conversations outside of our team. It's not just enough to stay family inside our locker room, but we've got to continue it outside our locker room and make sure that that we lead the way in having some of these conversations the difficult ones are are the most important.
2: Every little thing matters. I was very excited to see Trevor Banks get hired at Chicago State. (laughs) I'm going to have him on next week. And his story is, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, an incredible story. People are going to enjoy that. But that's just another step. I mean, one of the things about this dialogue is making sure that more black coaches are hired in the men's game, the women's game. They get administrative roles. And not just in our sport, but this happens to be the United Soccer Coaches podcast. So that's pretty exciting, right, Kidani?
7: It's really exciting. One, Trevor's just an awesome dude. Like, he, he, he's – I wish him nothing but the best. But, um, you know, that, that is part of it. I mean, we have to make sure that um, administrators, uh, people, you know, um, organizations know that not, one, that we're capable. Um, two, that there are a lot of us out there that are capable. We've got some fantastic coaches. We've got some fantastic people um, coming through on all levels, um, and and they just need opportunity. They need exposure, and and I'll give Nicole all the credit with the Black Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group. She's pushing the bar. She's challenging all of us, all of us in the leadership, all of us um, associated with with the organization too, to continue to highlight um, the the greatness that we have, um, and to show and to to show it off, to be proud of it. Um, and Trevor is just one of the, the many, many examples of, of someone who's been able to benefit um, recently, but but um, there are so many more that, that we have to kind of push forward and put out there.
2: Finally, Kidani, I told you we weren't going to talk a whole lot of soccer, and right now we're just hoping to play soccer. We're not sure if we are as we deal with this pandemic. If things aren't great in California, you know better than anybody. That's uh, where you live and work and, and eat and breathe every day. What can you tell us about what you're thinking is going to happen and how you're progressing as you try to get ready for what you hope will be some sort of season. <laughs> now that is the question of the day. Being out here, I mean,
7: things things are are, are difficult right now, and obviously we keep seeing our numbers spike and uh, seeing hospitalizations spike um, as we as we try to get some of our women back on campus and just back to a little bit of normal around sport. Right, and, and we're, we're hopeful as we have you know dialogue with our conferences and whatnot. Um, but there are no answers right now. I, I think we've got to remember that safety's got to lead the way and as much as we want sport back. Um we have to do it in a way that's going to keep all the, all of these uh, young people safe and keep keep these staff people safe. and that's the charge and and it's it's a difficult one because you, your young people want to play. We want to play. we want to we want to kind of get back to it. we We think um we think we can do it. We think we can do it well. Um, but you, you, we've got to kind of let it all play out, and uh, we're right on the verge of, of saying yeah and pushing forward, but, you know, David, every day changes the, the narrative and changes the picture, so um, uh, we are we are in a holding pattern waiting to see what comes next. All right.
2: Well, because I like to finish where I start and everything I do is we tell stories, even in my role as a broadcaster, and I'm not even sure the health status of your mom and dad if they're still with us. I hope they are, but... Knowing that John Lewis passed, knowing that he's from Alabama, where you're from, what would be their message be to everybody listening right now about what John Lewis has met both back then and even today as he, you know, goes up to heaven?
7: Um, yeah, well, my mom has passed, but my father is still with us. And um, he he was, uh, like I said, he was in his 20s and in, in, um, the 60s um, and, and coming through that time and um, my, my dad is, is one of those people. He's a longtime educator, and um, you know he's he's always about making sure that we're not just talking, we're not just out front, but making sure there's a plan, making sure there's there's something there's something actionable that, that you're trying to achieve, and making sure that you're prepared to achieve it, making sure you're educated, making sure that you vote, making sure you're doing all the things necessary to to really look at the, the bigger issue, the systems that are in place, the laws that are in place. Um, and not just not just racism in at its face, right? But but looking at all of the the breakdown within the system and 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 whatnot. And and, and John Lewis being a, a person who stood up for that and, and fought against those things, and alongside uh, Dr. Martin Luther King and and put himself in, in harm's way. I, I think he would say that we owe it to them to make sure that we we do the hard work, that, to to break down the laws, to break down the systems, to really make them equitable. Not just on their face, but um, as you think about you know the the, the communities and uh, the funding and things like that, really really, really look deep so that we can see
2: true change and not just
7: change in, in perception and change in, in attitude.
2: You've got my commitment, Kenani, that I'm going to continue to look deep every single week on this show. Thank you so much for sharing your story, including that story in Tennessee and your path forward, and we're going to keep the dialogue rolling, my man, okay, Kidani? Much appreciated, Dean. Thank you for the work that you do, man. We we appreciate you.
1: Kidani McAlpine, national champion coach, national champion character Black Lives Matter. We're going to meet two more members of our 30 Under 30 class after this United Soccer Coaches is proud to announce that Verizon has signed a multi-year partnership that will make the technology giant the official innovation, wireless technology, and 5G partner of the association. Verizon will become the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches college and high school rankings, as well as, quote, from the training ground, end quote, weekly educational email toolkit curated by the United Soccer Coaches education department. Verizon's support of United Soccer Coaches will allow the association to continue its mission of providing programs and services that enhance, encourage, and contribute to the development and recognition of soccer coaches, their players, and the game we love through the pillars of advocacy, education, and service. Thank you, Verizon, the newest partner of United Soccer Coaches. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap, spending more time with the power-packed
2: class of 30 under 30. We now get to meet Jane Grimley. She starred at Goldie Beacom College in Wilmington, Delaware, and she's now been part of their coaching staff, going on her fourth season now. So She clearly loves her time in Wilmington, Delaware and her time at Goldie Beacom. Another member of our 30 Under 30. Let's meet Jane Grimley. Jane, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's clear that you do love Goldie Beacom, right? You played there. Now you're coaching <laughs> there. It's got to be somewhere that you really enjoy. Yeah,
8: it's, when I first got there too, it was, it's still a small school. It's a, a business focused school. But even since I got there in 2013 till now, it's just progressed and developed and it's become such a, I guess a staple kind of in that community and now it's becoming more recognized throughout Division 2 and in the area itself and the country as well. So it's been great to see that growth and I've happy to be a part of it.
2: You put together a solid four-year run as a player, amassing 11 goals and 28 points over 65 games, 58 starts, two-year captain. You scored four goals each of your last two seasons and recorded 10 points in your senior campaign. To me, when I see captain, I see leader, so clearly the notion of being a coach, if you're a great leader, ties in. Did you know you wanted to be a coach the entire time, Jane?
8: No. You kind of get a taste for it, though, when you're running, like, captain's practices, and during those sort of, like, managerial responsibilities but as a team, you know, as a member of the team. But I honestly thought when I started coaching that it was going to kind of, like, fill a void for me because I've been playing so much, and I've come to find that it's done way more than that. It's now it's become a huge part of my life and my profession as well. So, no, I didn't foresee it progressing this far.
2: So talk about the transition, though, from playing for this university to actually coaching for this university was there a gap in there, or did you go right to the coaching staff?
8: No, I literally, the day of my final game, like our semifinal playoff game, we lost. I was devastated, like, you know, just a normal thing. Like, we're crying. It's a whole team event. And as we're leaving and we're in the parking lot, I just ran up to the head coach and I said, but I can't live without this. Like, this has become you know, such a huge part of who I am in my life and soccer. Can I just jump on staff? And it literally was an
2: immediate thing. There was never a break. Oh, yeah, what a great story. Okay, so then along the way, somebody encouraged you to sign up for the 30 Under 30 program. Who encouraged you? Why did you want to be a part of it?
8: Yeah, so actually the reason that I did is because a colleague, I guess, of mine who coached at University of Delaware, he was the head coach over there, had received the recognition a couple years back. And then when I saw that, I said, oh, that seems like a really cool thing. I looked into it a bit more. Um, And he's since really kind of expanded his career. He's working with the Philadelphia Union now and doing a lot of great things. So I figured if I'd be able to kind of do the similar, follow the similar path, it might work out for me well as well. And what about your path
2: prior to college? Talk about the youth team you played for. Did you play other sports? Tell us about your family, where you grew up.
8: Yeah, sure. So I grew up in South Jersey, New Jersey, which is a huge soccer area. New Jersey always produces really good soccer players. So it's super competitive. There's a ton of different clubs. And I played for a lot of smaller clubs, as well as I, you know, spent some time with, like, the South Jersey Daily Fairings and things like that, which are pretty well known in the area. I did play a lot of sports. I did swim. I did track. There's five members of my family. My siblings played with me as well. And it was kind of just from a small town kind of perspective where I didn't really follow the – that maybe the ideal path of how you would get recruited – the teams that you would play for, the showcases that you would go to. But obviously it worked out, and I think, you know, it all kind of works out how it's supposed to. Even though my past was maybe different than some others, it still brings you to a different point, and you learn a lot along the
2: way. James, some huge names in women's soccer coming from the Jersey area. Carly Lloyd, Heather O'Reilly, the list is long. I think Tobin Heats is from up there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah big time superstars. that they play? A role in your drive to want to play soccer in college?
8: To be honest, I felt like the women's game has, it wasn't as developed then. Like we had the, I remember growing up and sort of looking up to like Mia Ham and all of the different players, but it still wasn't to the point where it is today where now like I'm the biggest women's national team fan ever. Like I love them, I like stalk them, I want to go see all of their games. But when I was growing up, it was still, kind of growing, and there was still, you know, men's soccer that I maybe followed primarily, but now I'm happy to see the transition, because I know the players that I coach, they all know the women's national team now, and they they love them, so it's great to see that the female sport has definitely developed and progressed
2: to this point. Indeed it has, although I do appreciate you saying that you also paid attention to the men's side. Who's a men's player that you looked up to growing up, Jane? Oh, I love David Bethel. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously
8: because he's good looking, but also because he's just a fantastic player, and he spent some time in the MLS and here, so you kind of got a little bit of a taste for who he was, even though it was towards the end of his career, maybe not in his prime, but you had, you know, just such a successful career and he was fun to sort of follow and he still, you know, had the presence here in the U.S. down in Florida, so it was a fun journey
2: to watch. You know, I love that story because so the original director of communication for Major League Soccer, I feel like I can reflect back 25 plus years later and say that he might have made the biggest impact on the league of any player, bar none. And like you said, he's staying with it. So it's great that uh, you shared that story all right, so looking into the future then, where do you see Jane Grimley in 10 years from now?
8: Yeah, so right now, beyond coaching, I also work a full-time job. So I do have a marketing job in a healthcare organization, which is my full-time 9 to 5 sort of job, my desk job. And I love that, right? I went to school for marketing, and I love my members, my team, I have a great position. And that's kind of the path that I thought I would follow when I graduated college and I got my degree and my master's degree and all of that. But honestly, 10 years from now, if I found a potential opportunity that allowed me to do coaching as more of a primary focus, meanwhile, still using my marketing skills and all those things that I've sort of achieved working in a more, you know, business professional setting, that's where I'd like to be in, in a little bit more. They're great. My work, they love, They you know, they let me do both things. They let me have spend a lot of time coaching and, and doing things that I need to do. But I feel like I can't give 100% to my teams, my players, coaching full-time unless I kind of transition my life at some point to be
2: that as my full focus. Now, you told us what made you want to apply for the 30 Under 30. As you reflect now, what's been the best part of being a member of the 30 Under 30 class, Jane?
8: Yeah, for me, I think being able to attend the convention and kind of meet the other members of the 30 Under 30 class as well as your mentor and just everyone else who's at the convention, the networking aspect, I think, is, like, the biggest piece for me. And that's something that I've always found in my professional life. But now also, you know, coaching is just sort of beyond just what you do in the field. You have to deal with other people. You want to meet other people, expand your network. And that's kind of allowed me to get to this point where I've now, you know, it's a pretty small coaching soccer world, so I've been able to, kind of probably progress a little bit faster with the connections that I've made, you know, the guidance and the advice that I've gotten along the way.
2: One final plug for where you played and where you now coach, the name of the university, their nickname, what division it is, and what makes it so special.
8: Sure. So i played and I now coach at Goldie Beacom College. They are the Lightning, that's their mascot. I guess what I enjoy about it the most, it's a small school. So you do get the one-on-one time with, you know, the professor's, the various coaches of different athletic teams, you kind of know a lot of the student body, and a lot of the student body is athletes and athlete-focused. So having that nice kind of, like, community, family sort of environment, I think really, you know, benefited me, and I still have a lot of friends from all over the world and from school, and it's all because of my experience there. And and since then, the program has only evolved and expanded with those kind of core values at heart. So I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. from now even farther hopefully into like the NCAA tournament and things like that that would be our next
2: goal I'm looking forward to see where you go you got great energy Jane I can dig that uh, you're in marketing because I feel like you could market anything and I love that you're in coaching because I feel like you could inspire anyone you certainly inspired me thanks so much for being on the united soccer coaches podcast presented by team snap with was a buzzer Gene.
8: awesome thank you so much for the opportunity
1: and we'll meet another 30 under 30 superstar rob mahoney when we return
5: team snap's awesome i have five teams on team snap there are no questions asked by the players the parents very easy to use very 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 easy
6: Simple to use, everyone, you know, everything's
5: right there. Messages, availability, boom, boom, boom. I've looked at other at other things and I think Team Snap sets the bar for this type of team management software. It's the best that I found. Welcome back
2: to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Glad to be back, racking up some great 30 under 30 interviews. This one coming up will be another great one as we're joined by Rob Mahoney. He is currently the Girls Varsity Soccer Coach at Melrose High School, located just outside of Boston, and he joins me now. Rob, thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, Dean. Thanks for having me. First off, as you know, I like to ask people, what was the impetus, what was the reason for wanting to be a part of this great 30 Under 30 group?
9: Yeah, so I'm, uh, as being, as part of my uh, coaching in Melrose, Mm -hmm. uh, the coaching organization in Massachusetts, we're also part of the United Soccer Coaches organization. And uh last fall um, I was reading the email that we got emails we get from United Soccer coaches and I saw I read about the thirty under thirty program and I thought it sounded unbelievable. i read about all the different opportunities, um, working with other coaches, working with experienced coaches, getting to go to the convention, which uh because of my job I'm a teacher so it's hard to get time off to to go to the convention. So I applied, didn't really know how how likely or unlikely it'd be that I'd get it. Um, I turned 30 this past March, so I was right under the wire. So it's kind of now or never, and uh, I was fortunate enough to be selected. Well,
2: happy belated birthday. It's Thank awesome. you. Yeah, my pleasure. If you listen to this podcast, you know I like to hear your story in your words. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take me to where you grew up before college and then stop there, and then I'll walk you into your college days. So tell me where you grew up, your family, mom and dad, brothers, sisters, all that good stuff, how you got into soccer.
9: So I'm from a uh, small town outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, just north of Gibsonia. i kind of like Marnia. But uh, I have two siblings. I have an older sister and a younger brother, and I have a mom and a dad. And uh, I was actually homeschooled until eighth grade. So all three of us uh, were homeschooled by my mom, who's a, a CPA. Uh, so she's, she went back to work after we got older, so she's an accountant. My dad works for PNC, so he's also, like, in the finance, like, banking world. And uh, I've been playing soccer since I was, I mean, as soon as soccer, organized soccer was a thing uh, in my town. So I was probably five years old. Always played defense. That was kind of my thing. I liked stopping people rather than scoring myself. Played, like, in my, like, youth league, and then I played on a club team with, like, players, like, from this, the whole Pittsburgh area. When I went to school, like, then I started playing on the school team as well. So, like, in, in high school, I played, like, freshman team. I've been JV for a year. On, on my varsity team for a couple of years and just, like, had a, had a great experience. One of my uh, teachers was actually my head varsity coach. So my, my calculus teacher was also my uh, varsity coach, which kind of made me think about really, like, getting interested in coaching in, in addition to playing and just thinking about kind of what I wanted to do. Uh, later in my life and then what my club coach was actually when I was five I played floor hockey at the local youth center and he as a high schooler ran the, the floor hockey and then he ended up being my club coach from U12 through U18 so kind of a small world uh, where I'm from but it was a, a nice childhood I played other sports as well but as I grew older I really kind of focused in on soccer
2: and then you went to Boston University where it is worth saying and I realize you didn't play Varsity at Boston, but I mean, Nancy Feldman and Neil Roberts, two great friends of the association. Nancy Feldman is a legend. I'm sure you kept an eye on her and I know Coach Roberts has now finally moved on, but two legends there at Boston. You, while you're getting your degree, knowing they've got those two great soccer programs had to make you feel right at home, right? Oh yeah, it was awesome. I
9: went to a lot of games. I lived in that part of campus for, uh, three years. I actually met my, my wife there. She, uh, she went to, BU, she was a year before, um, a year younger than me, in school at least, and we both played soccer growing up and in high school, so we ended up playing intramural together, and that's kind of how we got to know each other, and actually my work study job was in the athletics center, so I got to, like, I got like, Coach uh, Salman, and Coach Roberts were very friendly with me, I'd, like, sit at the desk near the, uh, like, the entrance to the players' locker rooms. It definitely felt right at home being around the athletics, around the soccer players. Like the, I'd play on the Nickerson Field, which is where the soccer teams play their games. That's where the real sports happened. So even though I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't quite good enough to play Division One, it was still great to be around that soccer culture while I was there for four years.
2: So clearly going to Boston U kept you in the area, and now we know you're the varsity girls' soccer coach. So you've probably heard this question before. What's been your greatest moment? as a coach at any level, Rob? Uh, so this past season, I was able to be part of something called
9: uh, Soccer Night in Melrose. So it was the first year we did it, and we, we borrowed the idea from um, another school in our league. Belmont High School has done this for the last several years, where they uh, organize a doubleheader of boys and girls varsity um, on a weekend night, and they make it a huge community event. So I went to it two years ago, actually scouting. Our opponents and I said I went with a couple of my players and we looked around. Like this is awesome. There were thousands of people in the stands. The teams walked out before the game, like with youth players from the town, and it was just like a great atmosphere. So I said after that game, I said I want to do that in Melrose. So I worked with my athletic director and um, the local uh, the Melrose Youth Soccer Organization has been very supportive. So they actually helped organize and we did it with um, a neighboring town, Burlington High School. Uh, we had the boys varsity played, and then the girls varsity played, and we had over 2,000 people in attendance. Uh, we had, like, the New England Revolution Spirit Squad came and did giveaways and games. The mayor of Melrose uh, played the national anthem on their trumpets before the game, then we had the youth players come out holding hands with the, the varsity players uh, before each game, um, and just showed that there's such a a love and passion for soccer in Melrose, and Melrose is also a pretty big sports community in general, and the, the football team is very successful. So It's just great to see that people coming out on a Friday night to support uh, the soccer program. So Melrose, we both got the win, which was also a nice way to cap it off, but that was definitely a, my highlight of coaching.
2: Can I just tell you, Rob, that's one of the greatest answers I've ever heard to that question for all the right reasons, particularly <laughs> the fact that uh, it put on the stage, both girls and boys soccer. I love that in-depth answer right there. Well done, you, for sure. Okay. Now, yeah, my pleasure. Off the field, what might be something about you that people would be fascinated by or interested in? If you're like me, soccer probably consumes a lot of your life, but I like to have other interests as well. What might be those interests be for you, Rob?
9: I love to travel. So my wife and I both being teachers. Obviously, this this year we actually had a trip that we had to cancel because of the, uh, the pandemic for obvious reasons. But the, um, the last two summers I've traveled to China, over the summer to take part in a teaching program. So it's called the Sabe, the Sino-American Bridge for Education and Health. And we uh, go to China. Last summer I was in Beijing. Uh, Two summers ago I was in Fuzhou, which is a city maybe you've never heard of near Taiwan, which has 10 million people because that's just the scale of China. But uh, we worked with Chinese English teachers, like teaching American instructional strategies, skills like pedagogy, um and that was definitely a, a great experience. It was part teaching and then we also got, I also got to travel around China as well. Um my wife and I have also like traveled to Cuba. We studied abroad together when we were in college. So traveling is definitely a, a big aspect of my life besides, uh, soccer.
2: Somehow I knew you were going to have another fantastic answer and indeed you did. We started this interview, yeah, asking about uh, what was your reasons for being a part of the 30 Under 30. We'll end it by you telling us what has been the best part about being part of that great club, Rob, and maybe even what it's like just being a member of United Soccer Coaches.
9: Yeah, I mean, being a member of the organization in general has been very rewarding. All the resources that are provided on a regular basis with, the, like, David Newberry and Ian Barker doing the the, the the video series of the different um, – session plans and activities. For thirty under thirty, um, even though like as far as like my coaching kind of aspirations, I'm very happy where I am, um, I was able to meet so many people that like coaching is their, their career, their primary career and just kind of being immersed in that both through conversations outside kind of online or texting, but also especially at the convention like meeting all the mentors. It's great to be able to have the mentorship program and just the other 30 and 30 participants. It's a very incredible honor to have this conversation with people going to the different sessions and kind of bouncing ideas off each other, meeting a lot of great practitioners um, because as part of 30 and 30, we had the opportunity to introduce presenters, both field sessions and classroom sessions. So I'm being like Hugh Menzies, who is the to make a Women's National Team coach, among a lot of other great people, like seeing Joe Ellis speak from the second row, talking about the World Cup and like the the jitters before the France game and all like the injuries that they had to overcome and just everything like that. I also was able to meet up with my old club and high school coaches at the convention. So just the being able to kind of have that experience at the convention with the 30 under 30 participants, I wouldn't have been able to do it without being part of the program. Like I said, since I'm a teacher in the uh, Getting time off before a long weekend is a challenge, but I was able to, to make that work. But that was definitely just the connections, I think, is what I'll take away the most from the being part of the Third Under 30 program.
2: Let me just say, Rob, it's been an honor talking with you. It really feels good to me to know that someone like you and your wife are molding the young minds out there as well, both as teachers and as coaches. I can tell that that's a good thing, Rob, and I appreciate you sharing your stories and Thanks for being a part of the 30 under 30, but just as important, thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Appreciate getting to no know Yeah, thank you very much. I had a good time.
1: I had a good time myself. I want to thank Rob and all the great guests for today. I want to thank Sean Chevro, Mike Knipper, and all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches. And, of course, I want to thank you for listening. Stay safe out there, everybody. I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week.